Okay, we're going to get into this message. We've been in this series called uh, Ready for Anything. We're in the book of Revelation, and rather than trying to parse out all the little bits and bobs that are happening through the book, we're looking at some of the major themes that are happening in this book. And today I want to talk about that we're called to focus, the theme of focus. We've talked about worship, and we've we've talking about, uh, you know, being called to wake up and so on. But today I want to talk about focus. Um, and uh, first, I, I just want to acknowledge that that Revelation uh, hasn't always been used in the right way. This book. When I was young, I was I, I grew up in a Christian family, church-going family, and this book was more like we loved it for its scariness. If you've read Revelation and not been a little bit alarmed, I don't think you've been paying attention. Like. It's got some weird stuff going on. Beasts and creatures and dragons and, and, and all kind of manner of things. And, and so when, back in the 80s, late 70s and the 80s, there was like a series of movies that came out, um, that were really scary. Late 70s. Yep. Even early 70s. Thief in the Night. A Distant Thunder. Mark of the Beast. I mean, these are the kind of movies that they kept kids awake at night. They'd, parents would take them these Films, because they're Christian films, but they're terrifying. And, uh, you know, like, um, yeah, but it was like this whole genre of, like, Christian horror films almost. And I know the intent was, like, hey, you want to be ready for Jesus coming back. But it was sort of meant to, I say, use this phrase last week, kind of scare the hell out of you. And that's li- quite literally. And that's kind of what it, I don't know if it was effective or not. Then there was... Kind of a softer version, Hal Lindsey brought out the late great planet Earth, and then there was the whole, uh, left behind book series, and, and lots of people have tried to say, this is how it's all gonna go down. This is how it's gonna happen. And I, we're trying to say, let's back it up a step and say, what's really the purpose of this book? This purpose, purpose of this book, because remember, it's not only written for us, it was written for those early readers. And again, I'm not saying there was any, probably anything terribly wrong or bad with those films or the Left Behind series or whatever. But you need to understand those are fictionalized versions of what's in the Bible. And and this is meant to encourage us and to help us to be faithful to Jesus no matter what's going to happen. That's what we're calling we're ready for anything. And so that, that that's, you know, what we're trying to really unpack. This book of Revelation is meant to encourage you, not terrify you. It's meant to be an encouragement to you. Jesus wins. But you don't win without a battle. You don't win without some casualties. You don't win without a cost, without some suffering. And so that's what kind of gets alarming as you get through this book. So we're going to read Revelation chapter 13. We're going to be in half of 13 and half of 14. And so I think I can ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to find that. If you're using one of our red church Bibles, I've got the page number there on the screen. Maybe you're in a digital Bible. Church, can I just strongly encourage you, bring a Bible to church. Whether it's this style or whether it's this style, bring a Bible to church. So we can be in God's word together. All right, picking up Revelation 13, starting at verse 11. John writes, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. 
This is part of the deception. It looks okay. Doesn't Something doesn't sound right. Okay, that's what's going on here. Verse 12, he exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that I could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Verse 16, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is a number. It is the number of a man. His number is 666. And then I saw the lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of mighty ocean waves. Or the rolling of loud thunder. It was, it was like the sound of many harpists playing together. I can honestly say I've never heard many harpists playing together. But I'm trying to imagine it. Verse 3. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves pure as virgins following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people of the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. And they have told no lies. They are without blame. Verse 6. And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to Him, for the time has come when He will sit as judge. Worship Him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. And then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon has fallen, that great city has fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. And then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or anyone who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And they will have no relief day or night. For they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. And this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. Obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. Let's be seated together as we pray. Father, we just confess there's more here than we are able to understand. There's things that are mysterious about this. And yet you call us to wisdom. And you call us to understanding. Lord, you call us to worship you. 
And so, Father, we're just asking you by your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you promised that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth. We're asking for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth and understanding so that we will know what it means to walk faithfully with you. To not lose heart. Lord, that we would be granted a a heart of compassion for those who don't know you yet. Those who are not walking with you yet. Those who are destined for the suffering that you talk about here in God, that we would be people who would be rescuers and invite them and welcome them to know you and to follow you, to surrender to you, King Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. There's a fear, some fears that come out of this when you read this. That, that really comes to, well, how will I, how will I know? How will I recognize these events without just being superstitious about it? So I remember again, back in the eighties, there was like these urban legends about, oh, I heard that all credit cards are now going to have 666 on them. And if you don't have that credit card with 666, you want, and there was these things came out and we were like, people would get like kind of weirded out by the number 666. My, my, uh, my mother-in-law just, uh, moved and got a new phone number and we were kind of laughing at her a little bit because her phone number starts with 666 and that's my mother-in-law. And I hope she's not going to listen to this message. But you know, like 20 or 30 years ago being like, no, no, I can't have that number. That's bad news. I cannot have that phone number. Now we're like, okay, we don't want to get caught up in a superstition around this. We want some understanding about this. How do I, you know, the question is like, okay, how do I make sure I'm not going to be one deceived by this coming deception? Is it, is it, you know, this take the mark of the beast. How will I know it? So that's what I want to kind of grapple with today because it comes down to this. It comes down to your focus. It comes down to your view. Right? Where and how you look at the world around you. We could say it this way, that where you look determines what you'll see. Where you look determines what you see. Now, I want to show you a little video. This is, this is like back from, I don't know, 25 years ago or something. It's a little psychological. If you've seen this before, just hold your comments to your neighbor and then we'll talk about it afterward. Go ahead and roll this little video. Count how many times the players wearing the white pass the boss basketball. Okay, watching. You're watching the white players counting how many times they pass the basketball. All right, we we can we can uh, end, you can end it there. Thanks. Daniel Simons and Christopher Hi. For those of you who saw that for the first time, how many of you missed? We can we can be honest. How many of you missed the gorilla? Okay. And those of you who are seeing it for the first time, how many saw the gorilla? Okay, so about a third to two-thirds. They say uh, statistically it's about half. About half the people in tests, half miss that very obvious gorilla walking through. And then they've done subsequent tests that when you know that one, then they take that very test and they add something else in. And now you're watching for the gorilla and you miss the next thing that they add in. It's really kind of fun. It's called selective inattention. I was just talking about this with one of my kids this week. And he's like, well, didn't you just see me walk past you and do exactly this, this and this? I'm like, nope, I did not. It's why men can never find anything in the refrigerator. 
It's not there. It's right in front of you. No, I looked. And then suddenly she looks and it appears. I do not. That's some weird trick she's got. She can make it appear. Right. So we know people are going to be deceived. And those who are going to be deceived are going to, in a sense, be forced to worship kind of these demonic individuals or ideologies or beings. And the deception is going to look convincing. It all comes back to you, you see, what you see depends where you look. So look, look at verse, chapter 13, verse 14. He says this. With the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. And he ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. With all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. Where is everybody looking? They're looking at the miracles. You know, um, in verse 13, it says they were astounding miracles. They're looking at the signs. Now, signs and wonders are good and they're helpful. When they honor God, Jesus performed signs and wonders. Jesus said you and I would perform signs and wonders. Just this week, someone shared with me two miraculous healings that happened when someone here at our church, when they were prayed for in two different settings, they were prayed for and they were miraculously instantaneously healed. It was an, it was, I was just like, how have I not heard this before? It was so great to hear. So that is, that is meant to be the norm. Right? I want you to seek out and, and receive what God has for you, even if it's miraculous healing. It sometimes happens. There's an event coming up on Pentecost Sunday, June 9th, in the evening at People's Church. A couple different churches are sponsoring it. We'll, we'll tell you more about it next week. But I, I, think, I think we ought to go. I think we should desire what God has for us. Signs are not bad. Signs are good. Signs and wonders are good when they lead us to Jesus. When they glorify and when they honor God. But when we're seeking the signs themselves instead of Jesus, then we're liable to be deceived. So anyone who demonstrates kind of supernatural wonders without directing you to Jesus, they are deceiving you. They are misleading you. So I I want you to, to kind of look or resist or avoid people or philosophies or ideologies that seek to capture you without bringing you to Jesus. This is why something like uh, you know, a, a visit to a psychic or a hypnotist is so deadly. This is why we don't follow the horoscopes. This is why we, we are aware and mindful of false prophets and false religions because they're seeking to capture you without bringing you to Jesus. It's deceptive. You think, ah, oh, it's just harmless fun. It's just entertainment. No, it's not. It's meant to grab hold of you and not bring you to Jesus. I, and, and, you know, I think this whole deception is part of a... A current, I call it a fascination, I think, of the supernatural. Fascination with the supernatural in entertainment right now. It's really amazing to me just watching what's happening. And and people that I talk about this tend to say, ah, you're overthinking it, you're overreacting. I, I don't think I am. You know, the, the some of these superhero movies that have kind of reintroduced the pantheon of gods from Greek and Roman times. And it's meant to be like, oh, it's just fun entertainment. Maybe, but I don't think so. 
It's part of desensitizing us. It's part of alerting us. There is actually a spiritual realm. And in, in some of our entertainment, it's kind of trying to erase this line between the, the spiritual and the physical world. And there's kind of this going back and forth. Well, there is a spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul talks about it too, that there's, there's forces and there's powers. And we want to be aware. It's why there's such a fascination in movies with sorcery and witchcraft. Occult. Because it's all meant to kind of, kind of suck you in, desensitize you, say, yeah, it's probably okay. It's misleading. It's part of a grander. I know I sound like a tin hat conspiracy theorist, but it's, it's bigger than that. You guys, it's part of just kind of making us okay with those things. I, I saw on, on Netflix, I saw a, a thing pop up for the, for the, uh, a series called Lucifer, and it's about the devil. I read the description. He, uh, he's bored in hell, so he comes to kind of Los Angeles. I, th- I, I think he's got plenty going on there already. I don't think he needs to come himself. Like, and it's just kind of funny. Probably, I haven't watched it, but I'm just like, really? Years ago, I remember a, a singer, Keith Green, wrote a song that, that the song was from the devil. You don't, you don't believe, no one believes in me anymore, so I can just do whatever I want. Listen, that's part of how we get deceived. Now, there is a positive side to this, honestly, it, because it creates an awareness of the spiritual realm. We're starting to understand, oh, this stuff's real. The negative is that it denies God and pretends that it's fictional while it desensitizes us to spiritual reality. So deception happens when glory is given to anyone or anything other than God. Again, remember, Revelation is meant to warn us, encourage us, to help us. But this deception will be real And if we're not looking at the truth of who Jesus is, if we're not keeping our focus on Jesus, what Jesus says, what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, we're liable to be deceived. And our enemy, the devil, has real power and real authority and he prowls around looking to devour people. He lost his heavenly position and his heavenly authority or his place. And he's been... Demoted to earth, and so he continues to function in this realm. And he fights here. And he doesn't need to reveal himself, because he's willing, as we read in here, he's willing to lend his power to others. So there's two different beasts that talked about he gives his power over to them. So he's willing to subcontract his deception. If Satan's lies were so obvious... We'd all see them. Everyone would see them. But they're subtle. They're discreet. So what are we going to do? We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to focus on Jesus. But as we do that, what deceptions do we watch for? How do we know what's going on? I'm going to give you four things based on this passage that we read. What we want to reject. We reject any ideology or any person that denies one of these four things. We reject... Any ideology or person that denies that God alone is worthy of worship. God alone is worthy of worship. I don't mean God plus something else. I mean God alone. You see in chapter 13 verse 15. The the beast is speaking. He says he was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. 
It's not that he won't permit people to worship God. In some of the places where socialism and communism has flourished, there are some churches allowed to operate. But your primary allegiance is to the state. He wants the worship first. You think about, go way back into the Old Testament. Some of you are familiar with the story of three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were exiles in the land of Babylon. And they were faithful to God. And, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue. He wanted everybody to worship that statue. And these three boys refused. It wasn't that they weren't allowed to also worship their God. It's that they had to bow to that idol. And that was their line in the sand. No, we worship God only. And well, you say, well, I'm, I only, I don't sing songs to anybody else or any other ideology. I mean, what, what do you mean worship? Worship is allegiance. And how do we show allegiance? We show it through our money. We show it through our devotion, what we give our time and attention to, what we spend our life on, what we are mostly excited about. That's what we're worshiping. And a false idol always leads to brokenness and always leads to death. False idols always lead to brokenness and death. When you go back again into the Old Testament and you follow that strand through, that false worship was always at its height when it was killing young, killing the young. Child sacrifice. In the Roman Empire, it was infanticide. In our day, I believe it's, it's the taking of, of life. Healthy lives in the womb who are taken. It's an idolatry. It's a deception of the enemy. It's Maybe it's the idol of convenience or something else. And I understand. Well, we've talked about this before. I understand in a room like this. Some of you have gone through that experience. I'm not judging you for that. I'm talking about an ideology that deceives us to the point of death. This last week, there's a major election, a landslide victory in an election in India. A billion people. And uh, uh, Narendra Modi, the prime minister he served for the last five years, he just won another five-year term. He's a Hindu nationalist. His, uh, his goal is to create a Hindu nation. And so in the past five years, Christians have suffered significantly increased levels of persecution in India and the expectation now is it's going to go even higher because of the kind of refreshed mandate that he has. Our brothers and sisters in India are suffering terribly because they refuse to bow down to anyone but Jesus. And so we reject any ideology that that, that denies God alone as worthy of worship. Second thing is that we... We reject any ideology or person that denies individual freedom and responsibility. Think, Brian, are you, are you going political on us here? No. No, I'm not. But you gotta understand that, you, you just, let me take you to verses 16 and 17. Chapter 13, 16 and 17. The beast required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell or anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. What's happening here? Look, God has granted us as people the freedom to choose freely. What we want to do, what we want to believe, where we want to go, what job you want to do, all all those things. We have the freedom to choose those things. 
But a key element of deception is the loss of freedom and responsibility because with freedom comes responsibility. Don't forget that piece. And that happens again and again. You see that in, 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 um, you know, tyrannical regimes like what happened in Stalin's Russia. Everyone has to do what the state says. The state owns your kids. The state tells you what job. The state owns your bank account. The state owns everything. Lots of individual rights and freedoms. And here in America, look, whether or not we're called a Christian nation, that's debatable depending how you define that term. But the principles on which we are governed are uniquely and profoundly biblical in part because this sense of individual, personal freedom and responsibility. There, there's no other worldview like that. And that is a profoundly biblical position. It's Christian and it's Jewish that you as a person have freedom. And any ideology that seeks to say, no, you don't. You all have to do this. You all have to take this mark. You all have to function this way. The only way you can do it is by being part of the collective. That is a major, major red flag. So we don't know how obvious this mark of the beast is going to be. It talks about on the hand, the right hand and the forehead. It's also partly, um, you know, a metaphorical i think that the the early in the old testament the, the jewish people are told to take the law and bind it to their forehead to tie it on so if you were to meet an orthodox jew you might see them wearing a little box tied to their to their forehead that's literally what they're doing so what we do know is verse 18 in that chapter 13 says wisdom is needed wisdom is needed on this it might be something that starts innocently enough. I know there's like this wave right now. Companies, they're using microchips for their employees. You put a microchip in and it helps with company security. You can get in and out of doors and identification and so on. Is that the mark of the beast? No, I don't think so. But that might be how it starts. It might be something as seemingly innocent as that. But listen, I'm not here to be afraid of it. I'm just saying, I'm just going to keep my eye on Jesus. If I was an employee in that company, I probably wouldn't. I would feel very, very uncomfortable. To me, it's just too much like what is in here. But maybe I would have to ask Jesus. Jesus, what do you think? But key is the removal of individual freedom and responsibility. Third thing, we reject any ideology or person that denies God as judge. That denies God as the judge. Go into chapter 14, verse 7. He says, fear God. He shouted, give glory to him for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Fear God. We're meant to be people who are fearing God. Not afraid of God. Not that kind of fear, but that kind of awe and respect and honor. Psalm chapter 110 verse 11 says that the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We're supposed to have wisdom. How do we get wisdom? We begin by fearing God. God, I honor you only. Deception says you can do whatever you want. God doesn't care. Ah, it's 2019. Don't get so hung up on all your, you know, puritanical values. Come on. No, I fear God. His word's authoritative in my life. Deception is based on pride. And there's no fear of God in pride. It says I can do better. I know more. If we really believe that God is going to sit as judge, maybe we'd be paying closer attention just to what we're doing with our life now. 
And I'm thankful. Honestly, I'm thankful that God is the judge. I'm thankful that I'm not the judge. I'm thankful that you're not the judge. I'm thankful that God is judge because he is just and he is merciful. And on that day of judgment, we're going to stand before God and we're going to go, you got that one right, God. You got that one right too. And that one. And that one. And that one. We're going to like, he's the perfect judge. He knows exactly. So we reject an ideology or person that denies God as judge, but also any that denies God as creator. The rest of that verse, chapter 14, verse 7. Fear God, give glory to Him, for the time has come when He will sit as judge. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Listen, the whole Bible, throughout Scripture, the different writers from the Old Testament narrative, the prophets, the wisdom literature, the Gospels, the New Testament letters affirm again and again and again, God is the one who created all things. It's a marvel of, of, of what we have. And evolution, and I would say even something we, there's this term theistic evolution, that God used evolution to create all things, is is a deception it's a demonic scheme. It's meant to, to lead us away from trusting God as, as creator. Because if God's not creator, he has no authority. He can't, he, he can't speak into what's happening if he didn't create. If we're all just a random accident of the universe, who's to say anybody has authority? You just do what you want. It's really... Okay. Okay, Brian, but I, I don't get it. The Bible says six days, and if you... I just watched another great video this week. One of the top... He, he's called a Hebraist. One of these top experts in Hebrew history, language, and understanding and Scripture. He's like, look, it says six days. They're days. 24-hour days. That's what it says. There's no indication. If it wasn't meant that, it would say this. It would say this. It would say this. That's what it says. All right, Brian, what about millions of years? And the stars are so far away and the rocks seem old. Look, I get all that. What I'm saying is when you say, not just sort of kind of developed on its own, you're denying that God is creator. You're also denying the miraculous possibility that what it says in here is true. That in six days, God created everything and on the seventh, he rested. So they call me a young earth creationist. And some would say, well, it's just a lot older than that. Okay. I'm doing my best to unpack this and to understand this. And, and, and I'm, there's some just great resources out there. I just, and you've got to spend a little money to learn some stuff. I just bought a series. I have a movie called Is Genesis History? And I just bought the backup big old pack of like unfolding all this stuff and, and trying to understand why we can trust the Bible. And so I say, okay, well, I I trust Scripture, and I'm not saying I understand all of it. But listen, if God is not the Creator, if God did not make everything, then the founding creation principles that came embedded in creation are also to be ignored. Right? That there's a Sabbath. Six days to work and a day to rest. That there's... 
Male and female, in his own image, he created the male and female. That's, that's how God made it. That's how God designed it. And if you take God out of the picture, none of that matters. Right? Sanctity of life. That we don't get to choose when life starts or life ends. That's up to God to do. That's in creation. That there's heaven and earth. That there's day and night. That there's light and dark. That there's sin and righteousness. All of that is God's doing. And all of that is a design of creation. And when you say, eh, maybe, you remove God from all those pieces and none of that has effect anymore. And I know, I understand. There's some of you would try make a very strong case for evolution right now. And I wish we could just spend hours. I just would love to talk about that all afternoon and try to unpack if you understand. But it still doesn't add up. It still doesn't line up. It really is a philosophy or theology more than it is science. But, well, anyway. God created all things. It's the bottom line. And so we reject any ideology that denies God alone is worthy of worship. We, we reject any ideology that denies individual freedom and responsibility. That that denies God as judge and that denies God as creator. And you know why it's so important that God is both creator and judge? Because he's beginning and he's end. He's alpha and omega. He was there when it started and he's going to be there to wrap it all up. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that give you a sense of like confidence? Like, wait, if God started everything and God's going to wrap everything up, then we're like, we're okay. We're bundled in that and we can trust Him. Beginning to end. I like that. But if we're rejecting those things I just talked about, what are we embracing? We're embracing faithfulness. Faithfulness. Revelation 14, verse 12 says this. It means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying His commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And that's how we Avoid deception. Develop those habits of, of knowing what Jesus said in His Word. Have a relationship with Him. Continue to follow in those habits and practices. You're here this morning in part because it's part of being faithful, being in God's community together, God's people together. And the people around you aren't perfect. And guess what? You're not either. And that's why we're here. Because we're God's community together. It's part of our faithfulness to Him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to close with one one song a little bit. We embrace faithfulness, but, but it might have a cost. It may have a price to pay. I want you guys get all settled up here. Look at verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13 with me. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. Okay, we're talking about those who have died because of their faith in Christ. 
Listen, we live in a world that has some really horrid realities to it. We live in a world that's plagued by disease that leads to death. We live in a world that's plagued with with wickedness and violence that leads to things like human trafficking and addiction and and violence and death. We're, we, we, there's a lot of terrible stuff going on. But what we're talking about here is people who've died because of their followers of Jesus. Well, I want to tell you something. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. There's something worse than dying. Did you know that? Oh, it's, boy, if the worst should happen, dying is not the worst. Not according to this. Those who lose their life for Jesus are actually more blessed later. And we shared some things with you last week. And if you followed the news, you saw it happen again this week in Nigeria. 16 believers were kidnapped and we don't know where they are, but they'll probably be killed for their faith in some horribly painful, violent way. They're better off than you are. Think about that. Now, it doesn't seem like it could happen here in America. It doesn't seem like it could happen to us. But it could. There have been church shootings, not because it's just random building, but it's because it's a church. 20 years ago, remember the Columbine shooting? Those of you are old enough to remember that? One of the... One of the victims was asked, do you believe in God? Yes. That's dying for your faith. But death is not the worst thing that could happen. Turning my back on Jesus is the worst thing that could happen. Turning my back on Jesus to trust the philosophies and and systems of this world instead of Jesus, that's the worst thing that could happen. It might look really successful here. It might look like I'm doing really well. That I got the world by the tail. Jesus says, what is it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? It's about focus. It's about looking at Jesus. It's like I said at the start, where you look determines what you see. Where you look determines what you'll see. So as you watch Jesus, I think you're going to know, I think you're going to recognize what's going on. And when that time of deception comes, part of the challenge is it's going to be a hard decision. It's going to be, am I going to do what everybody else around me is doing and take whatever this mark is? Am I going to do that? Or am I going to stand and say, Jesus, I'm going to stand for you. And it's going to cost. Okay, Jesus, that's what I want to do. Because my eyes are on you. Am I fixed on you? I'm focusing on you. Stand together as we are about to sing. As we sing the song, I'm going to invite some prayer team members. He could be available on the side over there. And maybe you just say, I, I gotta, I gotta pray with some. Maybe this is steering something in you. Say, I've just been kind of ignoring Jesus for a long time. I want to give my life back to him. I want to get right with God. That'd be one step. The other step might be like, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've never come to that place. I'm not even sure how to do that. Our prayer team can help you with that. Just to yield your life. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sin and you rose again. I believe that you're coming back. And I want to follow you all the days of my life.
Church, I want you to be loving Jesus and watching Jesus and not deceived by this world and by the beasts of this world that seek to lead you astray. Let's look at Jesus. God, we thank you so much. I thank you that you're present here by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we live a pretty comfortable, blessed life. Most of us have have more to be thankful for than, than we could even put list down on a piece of paper. Lord, it's just a lot that we're grateful for. But Lord, I would not want any of those things to cause us to miss the most important thing, the most precious thing, which is to be in love with you, in a relationship with you, faithful to you, knowing you, following you, so that we would be a people who will recognize, will have the wisdom to recognize when the deception comes and will say, no, my eyes are on Jesus. Lord, let us be those people. Thank you so much. You're good. Amen.